Welcome to the SBCA Podcast Component Connection. Looking at how businesses around the country are innovating to take advantage of opportunities in the construction supply chain. Now, here's your host, Sean Shields. Welcome, everyone. On today's podcast brought to you by the Structural Building Components Association, we are going to talk about having a voice. Now, before we get to that, I want to take a moment to celebrate the fact that this is our 100th episode. It's a milestone I certainly didn't expect when we started this podcast, and I can think of no better guest to help me celebrate that than my good friend Rick Perino. Rick is General Manager of Plum Building Systems, a division of USLBM in Osceola, Iowa. Rick, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Sean. Thanks for having me. Well, excellent. You know, Rick, you were the first member I befriended uh, back when I started in, uh, what was that, 2004. I was hired to head up SBCA's grassroots advocacy efforts, and you just were incredibly uh, active and a member of the legislative committee back when we had that. And uh, I mean, you eventually served as the longtime chair of that committee. So we have worked closely together for close to, God, 20 years. We planned a lot of those SBCA annual legislative conferences in Washington, D.C., and um, I know the Iowa chapter also had their annual events at the Iowa State Capitol. In those days, our focus was really on helping component manufacturers build relationships with the most powerful people in their communities, their, their elected officials. You know, for many reasons, the focus has shifted since then, but before we get into that, I just want to reminisce with you for a minute. You okay with that? Yes. Yeah, sounds fun. So why don't we start with the Byrd Amendment? Uh, for listeners who are not familiar with that, that was a piece of U.S. trade law that essentially funneled funds collected through protectionist trade actions like tariffs and duties and went straight back to the U.S. industries that filed with the U.S. Department of Commerce to have those tariffs and duties put in place. So to put that in layman's terms, it incentivized U.S. producers to seek trade actions and then refused to negotiate a trade agreement so they could continue to benefit from both the higher price of their goods in the market, as well as a monetary portion of the proceeds from the trade actions themselves. Now, our industry cared a lot about that because of the softwood lumber dispute with Canada. Uh, U.S. lumber producers were continually seeking trade actions against Canadian imports of softwood lumber, which drove up the cost of lumber, also made the market more volatile, uh, created a, a two-tier system between the component manufacturers that are operating buying lumber in Canada versus those who are operating in the United States. And we also found that the U.S. lumber producers were refusing to negotiate in good faith a new agreement. I'm wondering, Rick, can you tell our listeners uh, your recollections about how SBCA played a key role in defeating the Byrd Amendment? Yeah, well... That was a mouthful, Sean. Um, and to say the least, it was a long-term process, but I, I had to look it up to find out, to remember all the details. But in 2002 was my first trip to DC um, uh, with the SBCA or WTCA at that time, our legislative conference, uh, which was usually in May. And uh, we had gone there and I had uh, sent out some requests for meetings with some of our legislators who previous to that, I had not met any of them, but, and I did, uh, I was lucky enough to get a meeting with, uh, Everett Eisenstadt, um, who was on Senator Grassley's staff 
interestingly enough, uh, when we went and sat down with him, uh, we had presented one of our concerns as being the uh, lumber tariff issue. And if I recall at that time, there was a time where I think it was like 27% uh, or somewhere in that range. Uh, it was ridiculously high. And, uh, and it was really affecting a lot of our neighbors to the north, anybody that competed with trust plants over the Canadian border and, and that type of stuff. But it was still also driving up the cost of material, you know, and basically across most of the, you know, mid-range of the U.S. even bringing lumber from Canada. So, um, so what we wanted to do is we wanted to see what we could do to get it negotiated down. And, and at the time, I don't know that we were as familiar with the Byrd Amendment until we started digging into it. That, that was part of the bottleneck. So when we brought it up to Everett Eisenstadt, right away, his ears kind of perked up and he started to present to us what the issue was there. Um, and he was actually quite familiar with it. So, uh, interesting enough, we were going to be in DC the next couple of days and he actually got us a meeting, I believe the very next day with Senator Grassley. And, uh, we sat down with Senator Grassley and discussed our issues. And, uh, and the interesting thing was, was that Senator Grassley had a number of other tariff issues tied to the Byrd Amendment. So it was actually on his radar to try and get it removed. So it was interesting that we were able to find someone that was, that had some background and some understanding of it, of what was going on with the lumber part of it, but also much more, much larger than that, even, uh, than just the lumber side. And so it was interesting as we thought we had done a good job of collecting information and bringing it with us to present, but we realized that there was a lot more that needed to be done. So we actually went back and dug in harder. And, uh, I think part of that probably is what led to you joining us, Sean, eventually was trying to get the correct information and, you know, just about our, you know, how many jobs we, you know, what sales volume was like for trust plants across the U S uh, you know, what the effect was for us and. Um, how many we employ tax information about our industry that really, I think, helped bolster our relationship and the importance of, you know, getting that type of uh, amendment removed um, and the effect on, you know, the people that were in our industry. Well, Rick, and that didn't happen overnight, right? I mean, like, like that first conversation with Everett Eisenstadt was probably, what do you say, 2002. Yep. But we were still fighting that issue in 2005, 2006. I mean, it was really holding right. up a negotiated agreement for the software lumber dispute during yep. those years, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, and, uh, yeah, I was, uh, I had to look that up too, to try and recall. I know we were still in 05, we were still reaching out to other representatives, uh, trying to get them to help support Senator Grassley. Really his challenge was to abolish the bird amendment, which eventually did happen. Yeah. And that, that's the whole point, right? Is, uh, we start the conversation, we give them a lot of ammo. We give him a lot of good perspectives that helps him create support amongst his colleagues. And eventually he's successful at eliminating a, a very damaging law, right? Yep. I think it's also interesting that, you know, back then too, one of the other things that we're advocating was that there was this serious problem with trade law and that a trade actions, uh, when the Department of Commerce or the International Trade Commission was evaluating uh, petitions for tariffs and duties and that kind of thing. It didn't take into account how it would impact the end users. So in our case, uh, our input into uh, protectionist trade action against Canadian softwood lumber was never considered. So even though it was bad for us and bad for the larger U.S. consumer, 
that was largely ignored. And I know we we lobbied on that for for many years. And I I think it's just telling that at IBS this past month, the home builders have as one of their major lobbying efforts to do exactly that. They're trying to convince Congress to change U.S. trade law to incorporate the input of the end user. Now they're thinking more of themselves in that particular case, but that also includes people like us. And I just, I think that's interesting that 20 years later, you have the national home builders finally advocating on a position that we were advocating on two decades ago. So Rick, uh, you've continued building relationships also with your state lawmakers, right? You bring them through your plant, you visit them in the state capital, and you generally make yourself available to them as a resource. I'm curious, why do you do that? Well, I think it's still important. Um, obviously, uh, you know, we're still paying a tax on lumber. Uh, granted, it's not near as bad as it used to be, but it is still effective. I think right now it's ranging between seven and as high as 13%. So I could see where it would be pretty right. important and, and still high on the uh, HBA's radar um, as far as, you know, trying to keep uh, housing affordable. So, Rick, you have continued to build relationships with your state lawmakers as well. You bring them into your plant, you visit with them at the state capitol, and you generally make yourself available to them as a resource. Why do you do this? Um, you know, I think the I think the important part is keeping a relationship open. Um, I, I don't want to be the one that only calls them when I need them. Uh, you know, we want to be there and support them also. I'm probably not as strong on the legislative side as I used to be, but uh, with home inspectors, we do a lot with them now. And, you know, we're trying to make sure that we have that uh, mutual respect for each other and, and look at each other as a, a valuable uh, partner in building. And I think the important thing is, is that that showing them that we're, that we want to be part of the team and not just be there and complain about things that affect us only when it affects us, you know, we want to be there when they need us too. And that's a part I think becomes important, um, both legislatively and on the billing side. Rick, um, do you ever have one of your lawmakers call you to ask you a question? Um, you know what? Not recently. Um, it's been a few years, but we did have our local state Senator come by. Um, uh, she came and toured the plant. She's actually been to our plant probably at least three times. Uh, Senator Sinclair, um, who we like a lot and, and she's a great listener and, um, is, you know, trying to do a lot on, uh, uh, you know, keeping up with our billing codes, but also not making our billing codes so, uh, restrictive that it, you know, that it hampers the building industry. So I always want to make sure she sees things from our point of view and let, you know, let her come to our plant and that type of stuff. But it's always a great conversation, um, looking at it from the state legislator's point of view realizing that some of the stuff that comes down the pipe uh, is restrictive or does make it a little more difficult to uh, build cost effectively. Now, Rick, you've, you've also spent a lot of time building relationships with your local building departments. You attend their meetings, you give education presentations, you even serve on an advisory panel for the local building codes. Given that that's a significant time commitment, I'm curious, what do you, and more importantly, what does your company get out of that investment that you make into those relationships? So I, you know, uh, I like to think it's respect. We're trying to show them that we want to be part of the community. You know, on that, in that point, you know, we do get calls from the building officials. You know, they'll question, hey, how do I read this uh, engineering data sheet for a trust and that type of stuff. They have asked for us to do training for them, which we just did this past, uh, well, I guess it's probably coming up on a year ago or something, but 
Uh, you know, we, uh, you know, we just try and make sure that we're there for them also. But on the other side of it, they promote us. I mean, you know, a lot of people will bring in poor plans and, uh, and they tell them they can't use those plans that they have to find something that is more qualified, you know, that includes header sizes and that type of stuff. So they'll refer them to us for plans. I think part of that is just, you know, the recognition that we do the exercise, you know, from the trust side and we develop load paths that are reliable and documented. Um, and I think that's, you know, again, it just, I, I like to think it's a respect thing that they respect us and that we, you know, we do come to all the meetings and we give input and, you know, as you said, serving on the, on the code review committee part is a lot of hours. I mean, we, you know, we meet weekly, sometimes bi-weekly, but several hours at a time or a few hours at a time. And when, by the time you're done at the end, it could take several months to get through that process. So it is a big commitment and I've been asked to be on it. I didn't, you know, want to be on it. Uh, <laughs> um, I was asked by, you know, a number of people each year to, to participate again. And so, uh, I just feel like I have to put my time in and help them out, uh, just be, by giving the industry point of view. I'd like to think it's a respect thing that we do invest in them and their, you know, their commitments. And Rick, and that has had a tangible impact, right? I mean, you and I were talking about the gypsum requirement on the underside of unprotected floor assemblies, right? And that's, that's yep. something that has certainly affected certain parts of this country, but you have been successful at keeping that out of the local building codes in the, the Des Moines area, right? Well, not all, some of those local cities did adopt it, um, but most of them, I would say did not, at least they gave us the opportunity to come in and present to them, show us our documentation, you know, that we had done the train, you know, some of the fire testing ourselves. And, and we were able to prove that it matched up to other fire testing that had been done, you know? So again, I think that just that part to show that we had made a huge investment in the fire testing. I'd like to think that, that, that they understand that we're not you know, a flyby, we're deeply committed to our products and to our industry. That's where I think the relationship continues to build off of, because they'll, they'll call and ask us about loading, whether it's a deck or something or a roof truss, you know, does this footing work under this loading and that type of stuff that, you know, we're, we're trying to make sure from a safety side that we give them all the support we can to, you know, make sure that they're uh, providing a, you know, a good, safe home. To that end. A lot of that stuff is reactive, but it, having those relationships also allows you to be proactive, right? As model codes and different things come up, you can have a voice at the table on the front end before we're too far down the process and then you're trying to get it out of the code again, right? Yeah, absolutely. That is the hard part is once stuff is passed, it's really difficult to get it written out. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so just being on this code review thing. You know, when it came up to information that was structural, they kept coming back to me saying, you know, what do you think? And, you know, what is your opinion or, you know, what is the effect? And so it was kind of nice. But when we got to other parts of the code that I wasn't fluent in, you know, we called in other people to do the same thing that I was trying to provide in that part, not just assuming that I knew it or not just assuming that all of us knew it. We, you know, we were trying to keep a balanced, uh, a committee that was looking at the whole thing, not just, you know, not just from inspectors or from a city, but from an industry, from an affiliate building all the way to the homeowners. And that was a part that I really thought was great and, and really kind of made a pleasure out of it. Cause at the end of the day, our goal was to have as close to a uniform code for our metropolitan area as we could get that, that was efficient. 
Well, Rick, it's been quite a journey over the last 20 years doing all this advocacy. You continue to be the chair of the SBCA's Advocacy Committee. And uh, I know that there's a lot of discussion about what we want to do proactively going forward, particularly in the codes. Anything you'd say to your fellow component manufacturers out there as far as uh, the value of participating in sort of a pro- in a proactive way with their building departments? Yeah, I, I, I think... Uh... I've never, I've never ever looked at any of that. What I do with them, a waste of time. Uh, you know, again, it's it's certainly a mutual respect relationship with them, and and there are sometimes that they're right, and I and I have to admit that they're right. And you know, let's we'll figure out how to get around this or get this corrected for them. Uh, but again, you know, they they always look at their position as life safety, and I respect that and. So, you know, when I look at you know, what they're trying to accomplish, it's hard not to respect them and, and back them up when they need it. And they've certainly backed me up when I've needed it. You know, when we've had certain situations, again, the respect goes both ways. So I, I think it's every dollar you put into it, or, you know, and whether you want to call it a dollar or an hour, whatever you put into it, you get back multiple times um, down the road. Um, but, but it's a lot like the legislative thing. You're not going to see it, you know, the next day or overnight or the next year. It takes several years to get that type of relationship rolling, uh, but it it is effective. And and it'll be honest, quite honest with you, Sean. It's like the SBCA. A lot of it, the time you put in, you get out in friendship, uh, connections, getting qualifications, and that type of stuff. Well, Rick, I want to thank you for your friendship, and I want to thank you for being on this podcast. It's been so great to have you here. Well, it's right back at you, Sean. It, it you know. I have to admit that uh, you were, certainly took us to another level when you joined us on the legislative committee. It's been a great ride and I still enjoy it. And I'm actually excited that we're talking about going back and doing it again. <laughs> well, if you've enjoyed what you've heard, please give this podcast a favorable rating and share it with others. Also consider subscribing to SBCA's Component Connection podcast on whatever platform you use most. That way you'll immediately know when we publish our next podcast. This has been a Component Connection podcast brought to you by SBCA. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode, send it to podcast at sbcacomponents.com.